Oh man, if you have your Bibles, pull them out. We are going to continue our study through the book of Deuteronomy uh, as we're nearing the end of this book. Uh, 34 chapters, and today we will hit chapter 30. We've been in this study for 17 weeks, and uh, we, are, we are nearing the ends. Uh, we are much like the children of Israel, as they are nearing the end of their wilderness time, and they're about to cross into the promised lands. Um, we too are coming to the end of this book. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29. Uh, that is where we are going to start um, this morning's message. But before we do that, we want to dive in with just a little bit of recap. I do recap every week, uh, but this week, uh, Moses does the recapping for us. Chapter 29 is actually just a recap of chapters 1 through 28, which chapters 1 through 28 of Deuteronomy are just a recap of Exodus Numbers and Leviticus. And so, by way of recap, I'm going to throw up a graphic that we gave just a couple weeks ago. This is kind of the structure of the book of Deuteronomy. You've got it broken down into three sections, uh, but then those three sections can be even broken down further into five distinct parts that mirror one another, all focusing on this one verse. In chapter 18, about a, uh, a messianic figure, a prophet who is going to come like Moses. But the first 11 chapters are the past. Moses is giving the history of Israel up until the time they are in the wilderness. Chapters 12 through 26, he, he dictates the law to them yet again. And then chapters 27 through 34 are their promise. So they have their past, their present, and their promise. And the promise is going to mirror structurally their past. And so here we are as we dive in this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 29 verse 1 says, These are the words of the covenant that the Lord commanded Moses to make with the people of Israel in the land of Moab besides uh, the covenant that he made with them at Horeb. Let's pray this morning. God, we thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you that you speak to us through your word. Your word is full of truth. Your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, we thank you that your word instructs us in the ways that we are to live our life. God, your word reveals to us your nature, your heart, your will for us as people. God, that your word, God, it brings revelation uh, and as we see ourselves and we see you and we see how we interact together, God, I pray that your word would bring transformation in our hearts and in our lives, that we would live more like you, that we would live more for you. God, we pray in these few moments that as we look at your word, as we look at the concepts that are brought up in these two chapters this morning, God, that you would speak through me, uh, God, and that we would leave this place encouraged. So God, we thank you. We praise you in your son's wonderful and beautiful name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Chapter 29 is going to be the point in the narrative in which Moses picks up his third and final sermon. He gave a sermon to them in the beginning. He gave a sermon to them in the middle. And now this is the last sermon that Moses is going to give to the children of Israel before he goes up onto the mountain. He looks over and he surveys the promised land. But then he will die because Moses is not able to enter into this land because of some decisions he made. But Moses, he's going to get up and as he begins this chapter, he begins it the exact same way he began 
Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 1. These are the words. Moses, being a prophet, speaking on behalf of Yahweh, uh, he is going to deliver the very words of God, and it is the words of the covenant. God is asking Moses to reestablish a covenant, a covenant that was made at Mount Sinai. Now it is going to be made again in the plains of Moab right before they make their way in to the promised land. Moses gives a summary throughout Deuteronomy chapter 29. We, we don't have time this morning to read all the verses of these two chapters, but what I will tell you is that he summarizes in the first couple of verses of chapter 29 what the children of Israel had seen, what they had experienced. You see, of those who are in the second generation that are getting ready to cross into the promised land, the majority of them were born in the wilderness. If you remember those who were there at Kanesh Barnea, when the rebellion occurred, when they said to God, hey, we're not, we're not doing it your way, we're terrified, there, there's giants in the land, we're grasshoppers. And uh, Caleb and Joshua were like, no, I think we can do it. But the rest of the spies said no. God said, hey, because you have rebelled against me, you will not partake in the promised land. And all of those older than the age of 20 are going to perish in the wilderness. There were those who may have been, and Moses kind of fills in the gaps for us here, when he says, you have seen what God has done. You experienced what he did as you were coming out of Egypt. So maybe some 18 or 19-year-olds at the time of the rebellion, now they are the parents of the new generation. Moses reminds them that they had been witnesses of the presence of God. They saw the signs and the miracles that Moses performed there in the courts of Pharaoh. They saw the great plagues which God had brought upon the people of Egypt for their rebellion against what he had commanded. They saw the very presence of God in a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke. They saw the sea split in two. They were able to cross through on dry land. They experienced the presence of God. It reminds me of a verse that we find in the New Testament, there towards the end of the New Testament, as John. John is writing his general letters to the churches. John, the last remaining disciple who was there with Jesus. You see, most scholars believe that John, at the time of Jesus' ministry, was probably 14 years old. Any 14-year-olds in the room? All right, no. 13, 15? Anyone on either side? Okay. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Y'all are like John when he was there in the presence of Jesus. Young, exciting, taking it all in. But John was the only one who remains. All of his fellow disciples had been martyred. And as John is aging in his years, most scholars believe he died in probably 98 AD. Uh, he writes these letters. And one of the letters he writes is 1 John. Uh, it's, it's probably my favorite book of the Bible. Turn, turn there, if uh, you will, with me as we read these words from 1 John. I think I've got it on the screen as well. But sometimes I just like to flip there in my Bible because I like the pages. This is what it says. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life that was made manifest, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and he has made it manifest to us. John is writing to the church, and he says, I was there. I experienced it. 
I saw it, I touched it, I heard it. I was in the presence of God. The children of Israel, those who were under the age of 20, who Moses is speaking to, they saw it, they experienced it. And how many of us could say this morning that we have experienced the presence of God? I would like to believe that many of us, if not all of us, could say we experienced God's presence. If you haven't experienced God's presence, I encourage you to keep pushing in, to keep pressing, because God wants to meet with you. But for those of us who have experienced the presence of God, how many of you know it can be life-changing in the moments, but when we get back to our everyday life, sometimes we can forget those great moments. It's like Aaron was saying on the youth trip, highs and lows, we've got our mountaintop experiences. But sometimes like the psalmist in Psalm 23, we walk through the valley, the shadow of death. Aaron and I were talking a couple weeks ago as he was preparing the messages for the youth trip. And we were talking about mountaintops and we were talking about valleys and how often we think valleys are all bad. But for those who understand shepherding, you don't go find green pastures by still waters in the mountaintops. You find those in valleys. And so the reality is God provides blessing even in the valley. But often, we're distracted. Last week, we talked about choices. Choices for good, choices for bad. <laughs> We're going to talk about those just a little bit more this morning. But the reason I bring that up is because the Israelites there, who Moses is speaking to, and the Christians who John is writing this letter to, they had real encounters with the Lord Himself. It was life changing, or it should have been life changing. It should have changed the way they thought, they operated, they acted. But in many cases, it makes us feel good in the moment, but it doesn't change the way we do things. It is possible to have an experience with God, but not let it change or impact your life. The key is how we receive this moment with the Lord. Moses goes on to tell them in the fourth verse of chapter 29, he says, you don't understand. Your eyes and your ears, they're not comprehending what God has for you. Moses, being someone who grew up in the Egyptian courts, Moses was a prince of Egypt. As you remember the story, he was put in the basket, then he was found by Pharaoh's daughter. Raised in the house of Egypt, we have from archaeological records, Egyptian theological texts. One of these theological texts known as the Egyptian Aeneid says that the gods of Egypt, they give people eyes with which they see, they give people ears with which they hear, and when you combine what is seen with what is heard, you get the heart, and the heart is what draws conclusions. So there are those Bible scholars that say Moses is using this very Egyptian understanding of uh, uh, psychology, and he's now putting it into practice here and re, uh, reestablishing that Yahweh is the one who gives you eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to comprehend, 
But now Moses is using this to the children of Israel saying, you've been given the eyes, you've been given the ears, but you're not connecting the dots. God has given you what you can understand, but you are standing in the middle of what God has for you, what you have experienced, and you're not fully living it. Some people today think that the greatest form of evangelism would be to see more miracles, to, to, to see God do crazy things like the clouds parting and a big booming voice. But the children of Israel, they saw some of the greatest miracles recorded for us in Scripture. I mean, an entire body of water, several miles across, instantly parting and becoming dry land. Yet just 40 days later, they say, we should have never left Egypt. God's brought us out here to kill us. I mean, really? Seeing great wonders and accomplishments is nothing unless God transforms our hearts and unless we allow his spirit to move and to work in our hearts and minds. Verses 5 through 9 of chapter 29, Moses is going to talk about their time during their wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. He brings up some really interesting things. He says, you only had one pair of clothes, and it never went bad. You only had one pair of sandals, and they never wore out. Now, I don't know about you, when summertime comes around, actually when February comes around, uh, I like to start wearing flip-flops. Flip-flops are great, but I'm cheap when it comes to flip-flops. I get my flip-flops at Walmart. Any other Walmart flip-flops? Yeah, okay, very good. When I was in high school, however, there's this brand of flip-flops called Rainbow. Anyone ever heard of Rainbow flip-flops? They have a lifetime warranty, or at least they did back in the day. And I wore out flip-flops fast, and you could just send them in. They'd send you new ones. Um, The children of Israel, they didn't need a lifetime warranty because God was miraculously keeping their sandals together. God provided them clothes that never faded and sandals that never wore out. Yet still, they saw the miracle, but it didn't transform them. I think there's a mini sermon in there. I saw one commentator write on this, and so I wanted to throw it in today. That just like the children of Israel got miraculous clothes and shoes, God has also given you and I miraculous clothes and shoes. In the wilderness of this world, God provides clothes for us. Revelation chapter 3, verse 18. God gives us shoes as part of the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15. The children of Israel, Moses also tells them that they had sustenance. And they were provided for. And they were able to conquer all of their enemies. And they were able to take the land that God had for them. Moses will tell them in verse 9... You came up against Og of Bashan, you came up of Sihon, and you defeated them, and you took their lands. So too, God gives us spiritual sustenance. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 through 26. God helps us conquer our enemies, Romans chapter 8, verse 37. And we can take the land of our spiritual enemies, praying that God would tear down strongholds in spiritual places, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 through 5. But Moses is going to continue on in this study through chapter 29, verses 10 through 28. He's going to reiterate to them the covenants. And he's going to call witness heaven and earth. 
Scholars have, have noticed that the covenant of Israel between Yahweh and Israel uh, is similar in structure and in layout to other covenants from the ancient world. For those of you who like studying that kind of thing, uh, I'm not going to just break it all down for you. I'm just going to recommend a book because I can do that. Um, highly recommend the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Backgrounds Commentary by John Walton. John Walton is a theologian and a historian uh, who pulls out some of the craziest things from ancient texts. Um, like I have in my notes here, uh, the covenant between Ashurbanipal and Syria. Um, you don't want me to read that because there's a lot of big Syriac words and Amharic words that I don't even know how to pronunciate. Uh, pronunciate? That's not a word. Uh, pronounce or enunciate. Um, see, yeah, I should not be left over big words. Um, but what I will say is that the Israelite covenant is unique because between God and people, whereas in other ancient covenants, um, they seem to be just full of blessing. If you do this, if you bring these kind of sacrifices for your gods, then they will lavishly pour this out upon you. Um, and they rarely came through with that. Israel's covenant with God is the same. In that, if you do what he commanded, he will bless. But, if you choose to do things your own way, there is consequence. We spoke last week at length about that. But if they were to keep God's commands, they would prosper. The New Testament carries up and takes on some of these covenants from the Old Testament and expands them in new ways. Jesus fulfilled the Old Covenant and gives a new covenant. And because of his fulfillment of the Old Covenants, using the laws of logic, he is the greatest possible person to follow into a new covenant. And he provides for us, if you were to read the book of Romans in its totality, Paul compares this Old Covenant with Israel to the new covenant we have in Christ. Romans chapter 12 shows us how Jesus is the greatest solution and why it is reasonable for us to commit ourselves to God because God has already committed himself to us. But all of this is just the summary. This is the recap as we're diving into the main part of the sermon this morning. Everyone looked at their watches and the clock and I said, Pastor Matt, how are you going to do that? Well, trust me, we got five minutes and we're wrapping this up. Because Moses is to the point. Often when we come to scriptural references, we really extrapolate and pull them out. But we believe that this is the literal words of God. So um, when God's plain and clear, let's just step away and let God be plain and clear. Amen. Chapter 30, Moses goes into a dialogue about what it means to follow the covenant, what it means to live in the covenant, and what it means to rebel against the covenant. In verse 6, he will tell them what it is like when they repent. Because he knows the Spirit has already revealed to Moses that Israel is going to wander. But as they come back, God will bring Blessing. And then verses 15 through 19, I'm actually going to read these. 
because I think this is very important for us. This is what it says, verse 15. See, I have set before you today life and a good life and death and the evil that is from it. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I have commanded you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in all of his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. But if your hearts turn away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship the other gods and to serve them, then I declare to you this day that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and to possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that your offspring may live. If we were to take a recap of last week, we have choices. I, I made the statement that in most cases, when we face hardship and trial and tribulation, it's not a direct attack from the enemy. In many ways, it's our deafness of ears to hearing what God has already said, and we choose to do things our own way. I also made the statement that if you are following the Lord and you are putting your faith and your trust in him and you are seeking to live every moment for him, then when you face trial, maybe it is attack because the enemy is trying to derail you. But regardless of where the attack is coming from, regardless of where hardship is coming from, Moses tells the children of Israel here in Deuteronomy chapter 30 to choose life, to choose what is good. But the children of Israel, they had seen life. They had seen what was good. Yet they had a propensity to go the opposite direction. Just a few weeks ago, we looked at the story of Balaam and Balak. Remember the children of Israel here in the wilderness? They've seen it all. They've seen what God has done. Yet they so quickly chased after the Moabites and their religions. So today I want to ask the question as a follow-up to last week and as a springboard from chapter 30, verses 15 through 19. How do you and I learn to make the right choices? I mentioned last week, and I'll mention it again this week, that God has written his law on the tablet of our hearts. We have a conscience Innately, we, we feel the tugging within us. We know right from wrong. But because of our nature, we always try and rebel against that. Ephesians chapter 2, I say it often, but God who is rich in mercy with the great love with which he has loved us, he stepped in. We were once children of wrath. But when you put your faith in Jesus, not only did he save you from your sin, I love the way Elijah prayed that, we would die to sin and we would live for righteousness. He saves us from our sin, but he also deposits an earnest 
in you and I. The Bible tells us that earnest is the Holy Spirit. Now we're a Pentecostal church, so we believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But we also believe that from the time of conversion, every believer has the Holy Spirit within them. But often, we're just like the children of Israel. And not only do we have our conscience and the Holy Spirit, but we still do our own thing. I want to submit this morning, and I'm going to be brief. Like I said, I'll even invite Mariah to come up to start playing guitar. She's going to close us. I want to submit this morning that Moses, I mean, the greatest of the prophets, when it comes to leaders of humanity, outside of Jesus in his ministry, I don't know that it gets better than Moses. I mean, Moses is a big deal in his last plea to the children of Israel. People he's led for 40 years. He says, I know you are knuckleheads, but I'm imploring of you, choose life. I believe that the Holy Spirit, if you put your faith in Jesus, he is imploring the same thing in each and every single one of our hearts. Choose life. Choose the right direction. And guess what? I'm going to give you that direction. The Holy Spirit empowers you and I. I love the way that John, in his gospel, he reiterates the stories of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus. At three different occasions, Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. And it's given to us in, in, in the Gospel of John. The first, Jesus tells the disciples that the Holy Spirit is drawing all men to the Father. One of my side studies is soteriology, the study of salvation. Um, the drawing of all men uh, is a stumbling block for some in this study of salvation. Um, but I believe wholeheartedly that the Holy Spirit is making clear the revelation of God and the revelation of the gospel to all mankind. And he's drawing people. That tells us that there's a choice and that people are choosing to reject or receive. So if you're taking notes, write this down. The Holy Spirit is drawing all men. So the Holy Spirit draws. John will also tell us, as the disciples are there in the presence of Jesus, Jesus prays for them and breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes up residence inside of them. So the Holy Spirit draws and the Holy Spirit dwells. If you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is in you and he's leading you and he's convicting you of sin and of what is right. And we have a choice to listen, to obey, and to follow. But Jesus tells his disciples, he says, it's better off that I leave you. 
I said earlier that many people say, man, if we just saw more miracles like we saw in the Old Testament, everyone would get saved. Well, we know that's not the reality. Another thing people like to say is, man, if I could have just walked with Jesus. Well, Jesus said it's better off that you didn't. Because he said greater things will you do. In addition to drawing and dwelling, <coughs> the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit will come upon us. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit on you and I, empowering us to be witnesses. Giving gifts, manifestations, operations of the power of God. I believe that that is God's plan for all believers. I believe God freely gives to his children who ask. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Matt, I've got a really hard time hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. I've given my heart to Jesus. I know the Holy Spirit lives within me, but I still make dumb mistakes. Well, hey, so do I, okay? But I can tell you this, that when you spend more time in the presence of the Spirit, the things of this world begin to grow strangely dim, as the old hymn says. And if we press into his presence and as we experience the power he gives when he comes upon you and I, not only are we more apt to hear his words and do, but remember what the will of Jesus was. He came to seek and to save the lost. What is the purpose for the Holy Spirit empowering you and I and coming on you and I? So that we may be witnesses. I think often, I'm gonna close with this line. That's I think my fourth close this morning. Um, more often than not, we can find ourselves struggling with should I do this, should I not do this, should I do this, should I not do this? When Jesus has already told us what to do. Go into all the world and make disciples. I think psychology says this, we replace negative things with better practices and it helps us make these negative things shrink. Can I say this morning that if you and I were actually about our father's business, these choices between right and wrong that are of nominal meaning, um, they tend to answer themselves when we're doing what he's called us to do. So this morning, I'm gonna invite you to stand. I'm gonna pray for you. And I'm gonna pray that Moses' words in verse 19, choose life, would be your choice. But what I'm also gonna pray is that the Holy Spirit would be poured out. The Bible tells us that God is a good father and earthly fathers, they don't give stones and snakes when kids ask for bread and fish. How much more will our Father in heaven give freely to those who ask? If you're here this morning and you want more of the presence of God in your life, if you want more of his Holy Spirit doing a work in you, that doesn't just mean speaking in tongues. For some, that's part of it. But for others, it's words of encouragement, 
prophecy. There's actually a whole lot more listed there. Go read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. Go read Romans 12, Ephesians 5. There's amazing things. But God wants to use you mightily and powerfully. If you're here this morning and you want more of the Holy Spirit with every eye open and every head up. Oh, that's different in church. If you want more of the Holy Spirit this morning, would you just raise your hands? We are going to pray that God would freely pour out his spirit on you and I, empowering the church to do what he has commissioned us to do. So Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for the children of Israel and the example that they are for us. God, we thank you for leaders like Moses who led and who faithfully delivered the word of God. We thank you for the ministry of Jesus and men like John who saw it, experienced it, and delivered it to us. God, we thank you that in all of it, you have commissioned us to choose life. And God, you've given us your spirit. God, we thank you that your spirit is within us, and now, God, we are praying that you would pour out your spirit again. Like the disciples there in the upper room on Pentecost, your Holy Spirit came upon them and empowered them. And then Peter and James and John, at other times in the book of Acts, they are refilled with the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit is poured out again. Paul tells us the Holy Spirit is poured out again and again. God, we are praying here and now today, God, that you would pour out your Holy Spirit again. For those who raise their hands, God, who said, I want more of your presence. God, your word tells us that believing we receive. So God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. Now, God, we pray that we would live it out. God, that we would live out what you have commissioned, that you have willed us to do. And Lord, that we would lean on your Holy Spirit. God, that you would do mighty things through your children. God, knowing that the miracles aren't, what doing the, aren't what's doing the saving, but that the encounter with the presence of God can awaken hearts to receive salvation. So God, we pray for that. We pray that you would multiply that. God, may you be honored and you be glorified. In Jesus' name said, amen. Amen.